2: Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?
0: Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Kristen. I'm Moneybags Molly.
2: Moneybags Molly. All right, so Moneybags. On March 29th, 2010, uh there was a Women in Finance symposium. Don't I know it? Yes. <laughs> you are money bags today. You can see the dollar signs in your eyes. Um but basically it was this event put together by the Department of Treasury in partnership with the White House Council on Women and Girls in celebration of Women's History Month. So I got together a lot of uh a lot of big wigs from the finance world. Basically they found like the uh, handful of C-level finance execs who happened to also be women um, and got them together in a room to talk about the state of women in finance. And the thing that I was most surprised about with this event, Molly, was just kind of the lack of press coverage about it. The event was sort of a non-event, except for, I feel like the, the one press-worthy thing that came out of this was a quote from Treasury Secretary Timothy Geithner in response to a question from an, a panel, an audience member, asking whether the financial crisis would have happened if women had been running Wall Street. Could women do a better job running Wall Street, essentially? And he said, "Quote: Well, that's kind of a low bar. How, you might ask, could women have not done better?" So people were saying, "Whoa, hey, Geithner's pro women in Wall Street. That's great." Because then he went on to point out that women make up a frighteningly small percentage of. Uh, the executives on Wall Street and a lot, a large part of the symposium was to try to, um, reignite women's interests in going into
0: finance. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about where are all these women? Yeah. Because the
2: question, that question that was posed to Geithner at the symposium did come straight from a New York Magazine article that was published right around the same time entitled, surprise, <laughs> what if
0: women ran Wall Street? Because there's some thought, I mean, it, as usual, when on our podcast, there's some element of gender stereotypes that are going to play into it, that women are these level-headed, logical beings when it comes to money, because as a head of a household, they're going to make sure that their family doesn't starve, that everyone's well taken care of, and they're not as aggressive, they're not the risk takers, that's a man's thing, men have historically taken care of the money, it's it's two different worlds and can women really integrate into this world and become a force to be reckoned with on wall street and if they did would the financial situation be better yeah so sheila colhatker of
2: new york magazine really digs into this idea of the differences between men and women and she she traces it all the way down to biology namely Hormones, Molly, one of our favorite topics here on Stuff Mom Never Told You. We haven't you. talked about hormones in a while. We haven't. So let's say hello again to testosterone and estrogen. And a lot of it goes back to uh, the risk-taking behavior fueled by testosterone. Obviously, you get on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange if you're a trader, and the men just go crazy. You know, I mean, they're trading. Competition. Yes, high competition, high stress, uh Lots and lots of money at risk here. And there have been studies tracing levels of testosterone and cortisone, which is a hormone that we release as in response to stress. And researchers have traced how men's hormone levels, testosterone and cortisone levels will shift during, as the market fluctuates essentially during a trading day.
0: Right, they're talking about essentially the influence of the environment on the testosterone. They're basically saying that if it's a guy who works maybe here, for example, at How Stuff Works, he's just writing his articles, doing his podcast. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of aggressive behavior here. Sorry to disappoint. I don't know. Josh and Chuck gets a little hairy at sometimes. True. Um, but if you are in this very highly competitive, stressful environment, that that's when testosterone levels are just going to surge. And there have been, you know, these studies lead the researchers to conclude that risk-taking and testosterone are linked. And because women have less testosterone than men, then they will never have those risk-taking abilities that the men do.
2: Yeah, supposedly women produce 15 times less testosterone than men do, therefore inhibiting our risk-taking Behavior Um, And Terry Burnham is an economist and author of Mean Markets and Lizard Brains, How to Profit from the New Science of Irrationality. And he's really looked into this testosterone financial risk taking connection. And uh, he he found that the higher testosterone men are more likely to reject money that was offered to them if someone else was getting a larger share. So it's not only just this risk taking, but it's also this competition with the men around you. You know, the idea of giving up money just not accepting free money simply because you know I, I rejected $100 just because I knew you were going to get $200 it's kind of ridiculous to think about but um i think that that's kind of a good example of the irrationality that that does exist in wall street when when you do when you do have all of this Financial risk at stake, and he points out as well that a younger CEO, who therefore has a higher level of testosterone, is more likely to walk away from a merger, um, even when the deal was in his company's best interest, just because there's that competitive, highly competitive, cutthroat environment that stereotypical gender norms would say that women just aren't cut out for, you know, we well, can't handle the pressure.
0: Burnham points out that we might just have a role to play that's not being well used right now. I mean, he calls women the big brake pedal so that if you've got that young CEO about to walk off because he wants to prove that, like, his pile of money is bigger than another pile of money, that a woman could be the person that having, he says, all right here's a quote, having too many men involved in business might cause them to take more risk and having more women would probably be good in lots of settings because they can act as this stopper.
2: Well, and going along those same lines, um, John Coates is a senior researcher fellow in neuroscience and finance at the University of Cambridge, and he has really examined the behavior of uh, stock traders. And he says that these men will display clinical symptoms of mania. He says they're delusional, euphoric, overconfident, have racing thoughts, and a diminished need for sleep. Essentially, they go insane for money. And um, and he, he feels like uh, a lot of these volatile mood swings
0: that happen are really a male phenomenon. Right. He says, it I mean, he makes the case that it's dangerous to have males whose brains are so affected handling so much money, mm-hmm. um, which brings us to a, a pretty interesting figure in this New York magazine article, Doug Hirschhorn, who calls himself a peak performance coach to Wall Street traders. And he, he teaches both men and women how to make better decisions and avoid the destructive habits that can ruin the economy. And it's it's sort of funny to read about the exercises he gives the men. I mean, they essentially, you know, he, he, he has to tell them like, this is testosterone. You need to curb it. You need to journal. You need to, you know, go take a kickboxing class. You need to get out of your own head. It's, it's almost sort of the advice you'd expect a, a woman to get. So on the flip side, the whole
2: theory is that if there were more women involved in the higher levels in Wall Street, making the trades, pulling the levers, what have you, uh, then they would balance out this kind of testosterone-fueled insanity that led us to this crisis in the first place. Because she starts out the article by saying that people in the top tiers of the financial sector will tell you that in order to succeed, you cannot let your emotions get the best of you, when in fact, a lot of the behavior that caused the financial meltdown were fueled by very emotional responses to these very competitive men who didn't want to be seen as underperforming, who didn't want to be seen as not risk-taking enough, and if we had had more of a level-headed woman who just simply doesn't have the same biological drives to be as aggressive, even if it's an incredibly stupid idea, uh, then we'd be in much better shape than we are. Now, Molly, this is also, we have to take all this with a grain of salt. I mean, Obviously, a a day trader's success doesn't just hinge on his levels of testosterone. Right, Man or woman, obviously, you got to be smart and know what you're doing in order to succeed.
0: And, you know, we're not we're not male bashing here. We have no idea if there were a ton of women in charge on Wall Street, if things would have been better. It's it's, it's an unknown. Maybe it would have been the same. Maybe it would have been better. Maybe it would have been worse. But. You're right. There does need to be some intelligence in this, Kristen. And both men and women are going to business school. The rates of women enrolling in in business school programs is on the rise. As of 2009,
2: women made up 39.3% of full-time students in American business school compared to 34.1% five years earlier, according to the Association to Advance Collegiate Schools. But now, Molly, let us contrast that to industry numbers once we get out of college And this is, according to the Harvard Business Review, less than 18% of corporate officers and boards of directors at Fortune 500 financial services firms are females. So how did we go from making up almost 40% of the business school students to making up
0: less than 20% of these high-tier jobs? So it seems to me that, you know, you can make that argument about testosterone and biology all you want, but when it comes down to it, it seems there's something very unfriendly in wall street culture to women. It's very hard to integrate into this old boys club. You know, we found one uh, historical article from the seventies about how uh, when the London stock exchange allowed women 1971. And it was all about how this was the last bastion of masculinity finally Mm -hmm. being taken over. I mean, it's, You know, for some reason or another, whether it's just that ancient idea that men handle money, men make the money, men deal with the money, it's been a very hard stereotype to break even hundreds of years later.
2: Yeah, I mean, even in 1996, we have a huge class action lawsuit against Merrill Lynch when only six women were in charge at Merrill's 140 branches, which made up 4.3% of the total. And since the recession, there's also been a slew of sex discrimination cases at a lot of these larger financial firms, from women who are saying that they have been unfairly treated because they have taken maternity leave, or they have, you know, come back after maternity leave and wanted to, you know, breastfeed their child, or what have you. Basically, once they once they want to have a kid, they're screwed, and their and their job is slowly whittled away into nothing.
0: And when there were all the layoffs after the recession, women had uh, women faced a disp- disproportionate number of them. Essentially, a lot of people got fired, but since women made up so few employees to begin with, it hit them a lot harder. So we
2: have Zoe Cruz, who was... Alsted in November 2007 as co-president of Morgan Stanley. And then we have Erin Callan, who was demoted in June 2008 as CFO to the now bankrupt Lehman Brothers. And then finally we have Sally Krawchek, who resigned in September 2008 as chief executive of Citigroup's global wealth management unit. And those three names come up again and again because when they were first promoted to these C-level positions, it was a big deal that finally women were starting to get a foothold in the financial sector. And then all of a sudden the recession hits and you have, you know, three of the lead women in the industry, all of a sudden they're gone. Now, some people have gone back and said, well, they were completely inept and shouldn't have been in those jobs in the first place. But I think it's, um, you know, kind of a, an example of uh, what seems to be
0: a gender imbalance in the firings that have happened as a result of the, resec- the recession. Because without naming names, it seems there are some inept men who kept their positions.
2: Oh, yes, it's true.
0: To put it politely. To put it politely. Yeah,
2: but then, uh, you know, even in the lower tiers, like I said, there have been all of these lawsuits that have come up um, that we read about in Forbes magazine, where again and again, these same types of situations were happening to women who had proven themselves as very able, high achieving employees who at some point would take the quote unquote off ramp, as it is termed, to have a child.
0: Then they would come back and their job would be gone. And you know, they, they keep calling it the off ramp, Kristen, but some of these, some of these women barely took the exit. They talked about one woman who was in labor and came to the office so that she could answer questions before she started her maternity leave. I mean, these women are going out of their way to make the situation work. They're not, you know, they're not checking out for years at a time. This is, these are very brief maternity leaves. Um, and you know, then they'll come back to work and they just want the opportunity to breastfeed somewhere and they're getting, you know, the runaround from the male bosses. Mm-hmm. But even when these cases come up, a lot of women, understandably,
2: are nervous about... Um Taking part in these class action lawsuits for fear of being ostracized in their job, and the same thing happening to them. For instance, in this Forbes article, talks about in the summer of 2007, uh, there was a 46 million dollar class action settlement with Morgan Stanley on the basis of sex discrimination. And uh, Alice Hughes, who was one of the people who was, you know, helping to settle all of these claims, said that a lot of the women who could could have cashed in on that $46 million suit, chose not to say anything, she says, out of, quote, sheer fear that even if they kept their jobs, they might be excluded from benefits like getting a chunk of business when another broker left the firm. And then she goes on to say, I mean, and they're right about it. You know, they probably made the right decision if they wanted to hang on to their job, because even if they ended up leaving the company, they would be blacklisted from working at any other major firm. So while all this is going on, though, Molly, I think we would be remiss to not mention, though, some... Of the women who are in very prominent positions um, in the financial sector, um, especially uh, in government positions. For instance, we have Treasurer of the United States, Rosie Rios. We also have Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation Chairman Sheila Bair, who Fortune magazine named as the second most powerful woman in the world. That's pretty good. Pretty impressive. Um, and then we have securities and exchange commission chairwoman, Mary Shapiro and small business administrator, Karen G. Mills. You know, there are definitely, there are all these women. I mean, th- those are just, those are just government positions, but you know, and there are also women, um, in the higher ranks, obviously at some of these major firms that we've mentioned. Um, but there still seems like there's not enough, enough women to sort of between, the C-level, and the entry level to get those women up, get them from the off-ramp, off-ramp if they want to take it back to the on-ramp, provide mentorship, and lead them through the trenches and really um,
0: close this gender gap on Wall Street. Perfect. I rest. So we want to hear from all of you on this issue, especially if you happen to work in finance. Uh, maybe you can give us a viewpoint from the trenches, what it's like to have mentors, not have them, who you see, who you don't see, does it does it suck?
2: Yeah, I mean because we we're giving a very broad overview. I mean the financial sector covers, you know, so many different types of firms and positions and and jobs and we're just kind of giving a broad brush of the whole thing. So we welcome, you know, any more any more details you would like to share with me and Molly. And our email address is momstuff at howstuffworks.com. And now we're gonna read a couple of emails.
0: First up is one from Liz on our Political Quotas podcast. She writes, I very much disagree with the idea of having these gender quotas anywhere, but especially in government positions. Our Congress may only be 17% women, which is obviously a smaller percentage than we make up in the general population, but I doubt Hispanic or African Americans make up their share of Congress either. I don't have the stats to back that up, just a feeling. Why stop a gender? Are we going to break up the entire population into ethnicity, social standing, religion, income, and then place quotas on each of these groups? I believe someone should be elected to office because they're absolutely the best candidate possible, not because there's a position to fill that matches their genetic makeup. The old white hair men in Congress are probably not going to make it easy or encouraging for women, but that's not something a quota is going to fix.
2: All right. Well, I've got one here from Bill, and he says, as a dad with three daughters and a lovely wife, I love your work and never miss an episode. Thanks, Bill. But however, I have one admittedly nitpicky thing that drives me nuts. You guys is a term that bugs me when addressed to a group that has females in it. I realize that it's very common these days, but I'm doing my best to stamp it out. When we go on a restaurant as a family and we are addressed as you guys, I'm always tempted to say, there is only one of me. So far, I've resisted that temptation. Probably a good idea, Bill. <laughs> uh, it's very easy to simply drop the guy's portion. Are you ready to order? Sounds so much better than are you guys ready to order? I realize this is a little thing, but I had to do my part to rid the world of this annoying yet pervasive habit. And I got to say, Bill, I catch myself saying you guys all the time as well. That's
0: why I think that Southerners have it right when we just say y'all. I agree. And on that note, y'all can check out our Twitter. Y'all can check out our Facebook Y'all can check out our blog, and y'all can check out our, our homepage, our home site, people who pay our bills, HowStuffWorks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com.
1: Want more works? Check out our blogs on the HowStuffWorks.com homepage.
2: Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?
1: If you crack open an American history book, it's sure to be filled with founding fathers, bloody wars, and the inventions that brought this country to the industrial age. But there's a whole other world that waits for us in the shadows. Tales of unlikely heroes, world-changing tragedies, and legends that are unique to this country's spirit. So join me, Lauren Vogelbaum, for a tour of American history unlike any other, through a new podcast from iHeartRadio and Aaron Menke's Grim and Mild. Get ready for American Shadows. Listen to American Shadows on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Allie Wentworth. How do I grow a teenager in a pandemic? Well, that's exactly what I want to find out. In my new podcast, Go Ask Allie, I'm asking experts to help me answer that question. For example, are quarantine teenage girls more apt to Instagram nude photos? Are they somehow going to end up on the dark web? Are teenagers getting ripped off by their new virtual education? And how do we deal with their overwhelming anxiety and uncertainty? And are they losing empathy? I'll be talking to experts and friends like my friend Brooke Shields. She'll reveal how her complicated sexual upbringing has influenced how she is as a mother to teenage girls. It's a new world and how we raise these young humans in it determine our future. So let's share some real experiences with all new episodes releasing every other Thursday. Listen to Go Ask Ali on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts.